Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Jim and Austin, is missile fit defense a reality or is it a pipe dream, Jim? It's a reality, but it's uh, not 100%. It depends on what's being fired at you and what you're using to defend with. Uh, for example, uh, Iran has found one solution for uh, ballistic missile defense, uh, which could be crippling for Iran because they don't have that many missiles. Uh, they don't get too many chances. And Israel, their, their, their most likely opponent, has excellent you know, ballistic missile defense. But it's expensive. That's the uh, the arrow system. Um, so they've uh, they basically uh, capitalized on their low flying long distance, uh, you know, one cruise missile UAVs, uh, and they developed a whole whole bunch of them from the uh, RQ-170, American RQ-170, that's jet powered, delta shaped, um, uh, you know, reconnaissance uh, UAV that crashed in eastern Afghanistan in uh, 2011. Now, it was is intact enough where they could basically uh, copy a lot of the uh, the engineering secrets in it. And I don't think they've done a, it's a jet-powered one yet, but they've done a whole bunch of um, propeller-driven ones. For example, the uh, Shahid-136, that's the ones the Russians bought. And that's that's not invincible, but it's getting through. Uh, I think they fired five of them, or they launched five of them at, uh, at Odessa and, and another uh, city, a Ukrainian city in the south. And the Ukrainians managed to shoot, you know, three of them down with conventional air air defenses. Uh, but the problem with the uh, with the uh, the uh, you know the Ukrainian uh, the the Iranian drones is that they are difficult to attack by radar. Now again, the Israelis developed counters to that because they're usually the target. For that sort of thing, but it requires a special optical uh, radar, optical and radar detection system, and then of course uh, systems to uh, knock it down. The Israelis are very good at that, but uh, Ukraine, <laughs> you know, has to improvise. They're getting a lot of conventional air defense systems with, for, which work, and they've got uh, cannon uh, in aircraft artillery, you know, small millimeter, uh, which seems to work. But they still have a problem detecting them. Now, against the uh, ballistic missiles, they don't. Well, they they they've knocked some down. Uh, the only thing they have going for them there is the Russians are literally running out of those missiles uh, because they can't get the uh, you know the Western components they need uh, to make the <laughs> the uh, the uh, guidance system work. So they're firing a lot of unguided you know missiles. Uh, they have a lot of them. They have a range of like up to 300 kilometers. But they're they're only good if they're aimed at area targets, and that's what Ukraine is is complaining about. The Russians are firing at cities, you know, in populated areas, urban areas, uh, where they'll do some damage, but they can't, you know, hit a a a, a single target like the uh, uh, Ukrainians can do with their uh, uh, with their missiles, uh, because they have air air how should I put it air superiority or air the Russians don't have air superiority, and the um, Ukrainians have access to the Starlink system. They use that for navigation, 
and they can basically find and hit a target before Russia, you know, can intervene with anything. So it's really it's a matter of what technology you have, what technology you need, and how quickly you can adapt. With that in mind, you can basically protect against something you know is coming. But there are so many things that the enemy can throw at you that it's difficult to have everything in place to deal with everything they're going to, you know, shoot your way. Ukraine has done that, but they've had a, several months to, to protect against it. For example, the latest thing the Russians are, are, have been using, they've lost, they've used several hundred S-300 uh, anti-aircraft missiles, which are obsolete. They basically cleaned out, they've been cleaning out whole entire batteries and shipping the missiles uh, and the launchers to, uh, to, the, to the Ukrainian border. And uh, in some cases, I think they have them in, in Crimea as well. And uh, these can basically be used as uh, surface-to-surface missiles. They're not that accurate. They have a small warhead, uh, but it's all they got. I mean, they're difficult to defend against, you know, coming in because they come in pretty fast. Um, but, you know, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, so the Ukrainians don't have to worry that much about it. Israel, they're probably the best prepared in the world. And everybody else is, you know, somewhere in between. For example, Japan uh, decided they, they couldn't put their Aegis ashore. That's this one system that's probably the best in the world that's, uh, that's fitted on American and many far. I think there's 100 ships now that have Aegis, uh, you know, uh, air defense systems with the SM-6 uh, missile. Um, but they, they tried to put it in, in two military bases, but then the civilians found out that when it launches, it basically the cards, this card, some components which could conceivably fall on you know, uh, you know civilians. So they had they're now uh, making these uh, twenty thousand ton uh, twin hull uh, Aegis at sea ships, and these will be these will be ready in a year or two. I mean the ship they, they they're easy to build you know, and Japan still has a huge uh, <coughs> shipbuilding industry, uh, so they can turn them out pretty quick. Uh, but they're square, you know, more than, you know, long, as it were. And they just go out there and uh, they got a crew of about 100 and they just circle around. You know, two two Aegis systems can protect all of Japan uh, pretty effectively because, like I say, that SM-6 uh, missile has probably the most effective uh, general purpose, you know, air defense missile in the world. Uh, so that's their solutions to that. And they have they have, oh, God, about a dozen or more. Uh, Aegis equipped destroyers and frigates, and they will basically have them standing by to fill in when the Aegis at sea, as it were, has to come into port for you know crew changes, you know maintenance, what have you. So you know it's it's really a toss-up. Nobody has 100% protection against uh, ballistic missiles, or for that matter, uh, all that matter of uh, UAVs that are basically uh, you know. Uh, set for attacking a single target, you know, using the GPS navigation and are carrying, you know, maybe 80, you know, 100, 150 uh, kilograms, you know, 300, 400 pounds of explosives. That can be a pretty potent weapon. Um, and that's the one the Iranians are are specializing in right now because, you know, they're working on a, on a small budget. Austin, how do you see the missile defense system? Okay. First of all, when it's uh, major powers, Russia, China, the United States, and in in the nuclear weapons business, you're going to have to include uh, France and uh, Great Britain. And 
possibly North Korea and, and Iran. Well, I should say Israel as well, but among the the, the greater powers, uh, what is the defense remains balance of terror that you will be uh, there'll be a nuclear counter strike that will be devastating as as devastating to you as the uh, attack you launched on uh, Russia shooting at a target in, in NATO or at the United States is going to be uh, erased in a nuclear bombardment. <clears throat> the idea behind missile defense clearly is that we'll try to rebalance uh, and protect using uh, anti-missile missiles to take out uh, a take out an enemy uh, incoming enemy strike and it, it, it's not possible now and hasn't been possible it was original idea as, as portrayed by strategic defense initiative in the, in the reagan administration and that was uh, uh exaggeration american propaganda that uh, we were going to build a uh a, a nuclear ast uh, astrodome but and the russians believe we could do it so that it had some uh, efficacy and into the end of the Cold War because they were afraid that the United States would build it and complete with uh, beam weapons, uh, uh, lasers and, and, and perhaps other type proton beam weapons and, uh, and the like. Now, quick sidebar here, the Israelis have a system called Iron Dome, which they use, they can shoot down, or it's tactical right now, they can shoot down artillery rounds uh, as well as incoming rockets and missiles. And also US and Israel are, are testing and we've made great advances in, in using beam weapons, uh, lasers. So we've had test lasers on uh, Navy ships and I believe uh, Jim can correct me if I'm wrong. Early next year, we're actually gonna have an operational laser on one of our guided missile uh, destroyers. And that laser is, as I understand it, is primarily used to stop and uh, knock down uh, anti-ship uh, uh, missiles uh, uh, threatening the, uh, the the surface ship. But with the kind of generate on some of these larger naval vessels, we're uh, are reaching a point where you might be able to knock down larger cruise missiles, hypersonic missiles, and even the uh, anti-carrier ballistic missiles for the uh, Ch Chinese field. That's one of the driving factors behind a, a, a naval naval laser. So what did, what did the United States go and do? We built a limited or thin shield. <clears throat> the Bush, uh, first Bush administration, I believe is the one that came up with the name GPALS, uh, global protection against Limited strikes, I think, is, is, is what the acronym stands for. It's close to it. But the thin shield would have uh, closer to the target. If it sounds like it was uh, set up to deal with North Korea, you're right. Potentially uh, Iran. You've got <clears throat> uh, theater-type anti-missile missiles. And that's, that's where THAAD comes in. Now, now it means terminal uh, high altitude area defense. It used to be a theater high altitude area defense. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's when, the, when it was uh, originally built uh, by Army 
missile missile command. And we've got a those are mobile. We've got a battery on Guam and a battery in uh, South Korea of of uh, of Thads now. They're they're a good missile. They've got a lot longer range than the Patriot Pack three, which true missile itself, but it's only got a limited uh, interception range. Usually you'll see 25 to 30 kilometers. It's a little longer than that, but it's, uh, you, you can see if you've got the pack three and that, uh, uh, to try to take down a, uh, a, a intermediate range or short range ballistic missile, but perhaps with luck, uh, a enemy, uh, longer range in the ascent phase. And then behind that, you come in, and Jim was talking about Aegis, and I, I think what the Japanese have come up with, since they couldn't actually put them ashore, essentially they're, they're, what they look like to me are, are uh, arsenal barges, uh, but they're going to put the Aegis on there. It's not just the SM-6, Standard Missile 6, which is really a super missile that you can use for almost anything. They've got the SM-3, which is exo-atmospheric, longer range, it can hit something in, in outer space, and I believe all, right now, all or almost all of the 60-odd uh, BMDs, ballistic missile uh, defense uh, uh, vessels, most of them are, are, are the destroyers, uh, carry the uh, SM-3, which is a big missile, but it's part of that the, uh, Aegis, uh, Aegis pack. Uh, and it, it can take down a IRBM uh, and even that, uh, as fast as they're going, a chance at an ICBM. And then behind that, the problem with what's behind it is there aren't very many of them, but they're the, the long, long lance. They used to be called GBI, ground-based interceptor, then they changed the name, you know, mid-course interception. But they're assuming that the ICBM, an American ICBM, with a uh, interceptor anti-missile missile warhead. That's also retargetable now. That's something that has been brought in really within the last. Fortunately, I think the last figure I saw, there were 44 of them. And for some reason, 41 were considered to be operational. But damn, that, that figure's three years old. Why so few? Well, uh, it, it may, to refresh people's memory, there were still uh, American politicians who were against uh, a more robust anti-missile defense as late as 2003. And the person I'll just pick on right now is uh, Nancy Pelosi. I ended up writing a, a column about her. Uh, comments in 2003. She was still playing the uh, game that Reagan was going to start. I know he wasn't president, but Reagan was going to start a nuclear war because uh, he uh, uh, had initiated uh, a strategic uh, strategic defense uh, initiative. It was a a, a truly uh, uh, divisive uh, political uh, political issue. In the United States, as as late as I say, 2003, but the long long range ones were set up. We've got a big missile field in Alaska, and one at Vandenberg Air Force Base. 
there was a move during uh, the late part of the, of the George W. Bush administration to put in a few uh, of the long-range anti-missile missiles. I believe it was going to go into Maine. There was also an initiative to put 10 of them, just 10, in Poland. And Poland had signed off on this, had gone off through, through NATO. And uh, in, I think it was September 2009, the Obama administration nixed it outright. That was part of the Obama administration's so-called reset of our relations with Russia. However, I can guarantee you, you know, Russians are probably the world's greatest mathematicians. You could sit there and figure it out. Those missiles weren't going to shoot down Russian ICBMs. They were to stop a shot from Iran uh, against uh, against Europe. But anyway, to get back into it, uh, there are fewer than 50 of these long-range anti-missile missiles. And since you can see they're weighted towards the Pacific, it's to stop a North Korean attack. It couldn't stop one from China, certainly not one from, uh, 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 from Russia. And so if they were anything, the claim was is that the missiles were destabilized. No, they're quite stabilizing because it, it gives uh, the Kim uh, junta uh, uh, another reason to pause and not even shoot at South Korea but much less think that they could uh, put a nuke on Los Angeles or even even Washington. Uh, one other thing I'd add to is, I don't know what the state status of this is now, but the uh, US Navy has, has a quote unquote experimental Aegis ashore uh, in, in, the, in the Hawaiian Islands to, as Jim had pointed out too, a couple of these Aegis ashore uh, 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 bases are in Eastern Europe. Uh, Romania has one in there, right, Jim? Yeah, I think that's right. They've got a, they've got, they've got one, and they're not like, they're, they're really good systems. But what we've got right now, Dan, and I've described it, all the little layered. It's a layered defense, and it's a thin missile defense, but it provides uh, deterrence. It certainly can uh, handle an accidental launch. Uh, I say that with, you know, you know it's not, not absolute certainty, but you've got something if there's an accidental launch with a, uh, a, a, live, uh, a live warhead. Uh, additional complexities, though. I've been talking largely about ballistic missiles, except when we get into some of the tactical uh, uh, anti-missile missile uh, systems. Uh, hypersonic cruise missiles, well, they're hypersonic missiles. Uh, that come in low, uh, they're uh, they're not completely below the radar, but they're a way to uh, get around some of the sensor systems that have been developed over the years to uh, detect enemy uh, missile launches. But they're also something that if you've got hypersonic, which you, you do have with anti-missile missiles, of course, hitting a bullet with a bullet. There are ways to uh, intercept those. The thing, uh, uh, and it's, again, if you've got them and you deployed them, you're adding uh, a layer of doubt, uh, deterrence, deterring doubt to a, 
potential aggressor. If there's anything I'd like to see, I'd like to see more effort put into, uh, and I, you know, I know what's going on. Obviously, it's it's very very uh, highly classified, but more effort put on uh, into uh, developing beam weapons to deal with uh, intermediate range uh, ballistic missiles, and uh, not necessarily ones that you would have. Uh, on board a large naval ship, uh, it sounds good to me because you can move the ship around, but one that would have uh, the same kind of efficacy or better as an Aegis ashore, but it's not going to have some of the problems that the uh, Japanese uh, civilians uh, objected to with the uh, d d discarded uh, booster uh, components of the, uh, of the Aegis system. Uh, is it a futuristic weapon system? Yes, but uh, we've also we've also made a heck of a lot of advance advances in uh, beam weapons and uh, also in providing power sources for uh, beam weapons. You can get off a lot more shots with a with a beam weapon. So uh, welcome to Star Trek. So Jim, the question is if. And Austin's answered this to some degree, is if uh, Putin goes through with his threats and launches some sort of attack at NATO, will we be able to stop it or will NATO be able to stop it? Well, first of all, his threats of using nukes in, uh, in Ukraine, he had those phony uh, elections. Uh, which had uh, the occupied parts of all the occupied parts of uh, Ukraine voluntarily uh, voting to join the uh, uh, the Russia, and so now he says, "Well, now they're part of Russia. If you keep attacking there, uh, we will use nuclear weapons to defend Mother Russia." Now they're they're tactical. They're not really how should I put it? Uh, they're short range missiles. They don't come in very fast. And, of course, we have no defenses there. Now, he's got ICBMs, which he could launch at, uh, at uh, you know, NATO countries and in, in NATO countries in general. But, you know, I, you know, I doubt it. he's going to do that because from what I'm getting out of uh, Ukraine is that he's got a growing amount of opposition in the uh, uh, among the Russian people, and especially among the, you know, the the upper echelons, as it were, you know, even a lot of his aides. Uh, they realize that this is a no-win proposition. Uh, you know, nuclear warfare would be curtains for Russia. Uh, they they have they still have you know about a thousand tactical uh, nuclear rockets, and some I think so, some of those are carried by aircraft, but they have very few aircraft that can actually you know get through. Um, and that's a Pandora's box, so to speak, because uh, what's NATO going to do? They can't afford to just back off because that that basically says to Iran, and especially to North Korea, which has some crude nukes right now. In fact, I, I, uh, North Korea, recently, in the last you know, few weeks, they declared they have a new first-use policy. They will use it first if they feel they are threatened, because they know that you know, if there's any indication they're going to use it, uh, you know, South Korea and the United States and Japan all have defenses. So now they're saying, well, you know, in effect, they're saying, you're not really protected with that nonsense because we can attack, we can have a, you know, a surprise attack. 
if we feel we're threatened. Now, whether or not they'd actually try that is hard to say. But any of these countries, you know, uh, using new, including Russia, uh, they risk devastating uh, retaliation. Now, another problem Russia has, they've crippled their economy further with this mass mobilization. Because what it's done, and this doesn't get too much, you know, uh, attention in, in the media, is they have crippled the Russian economy even further because they have so many highly educated, you know, skilled people who were not subject to the draft. You know, we're not going to go in. That's why, you know, most of the uh, the people, uh, Russia, Putin was uh, was basically dragging into the army, were in the rural areas. Uh, he basically stopped, did not do it in in the uh, in the urban areas. Well, now the new one is, and he's losing, you know, maybe half a million, uh, you know, not just from people who are uh, who are refusing to go, but a lot of people are trying to get out of the country. Now he basically made it illegal uh, to leave Russia uh, because of the emergency, as it were. But people are finding their way around that. I mean, it's just more difficult to get out. Uh, you know the uh, Finland uh, and the uh, the the any nation with a border with uh, you know with Russia that's somewhat friendly to the United States is finding a lot more Russians are you know showing up uh, you know military age Russians and uh, wanting to you know emergency visa uh, you know asylum whatever um, and uh, this is this is basically a, more of a hit to the Russian economy than the economic sanctions because there's nobody to do the work. Um, and of course, there's already yeah, accounts from Ukraine about these Russian soldiers being sent in with no training. They're giving, they're giving uniforms and guns and boom, off they go. Uh, there, one, there was one video, I think, of, uh, of a woman doctor advising them. He says, look, we can't afford to give you medical supplies, but you know, get your wives or girlfriends to give you tampons. They work very well, which they did. That's how that's how that's how uh, tampons were invented in World War One. Nurses noticed that these things, hey, you know, we could use these instead of the old-fashioned way of, you know, dealing with the monthly, you know, problem. And uh, so it comes full circle. But that's that's very demoralizing for Russians because they're getting this news too, even though it's more difficult to get the news in. There are uh, uh, telegraph. That's an encrypted. Uh, internet app, which Russia has not tried to block because they use it themselves. It's a way they can get the, the word out to the uh, uh, to the people in Russia who use it. Basically, you know, it's uh, initially it was uh, it was rah rah, you know, uh, propaganda for the Russian effort. But now it's basically people criticizing Putin because they say this is madness, uh, you know, and, and they give the numbers and they and they you know the the uh, the accounts of the uh, Russian soldiers being sent in. You know, with no training, uh, being just put at the front. And what the Ukrainians did, this is look, you know, they got the word out uh, again through Telegram, any other means they have. He says, look, if you're a Russian soldier in a hopeless situation, just surrender. Well, we'll take care of you. We, we, we obey the, you know, the, the Hague Convention. The Red Force will interview you. Uh, uh, your family will be notified. If the Russians don't allow that, the Ukrainian the general staff has long maintained a, uh, a online database of uh, prisoners they have or dead, you know, Russians they found, uh, often with pictures, uh, just to report if they're alive or they're dead, you know, what their status is. And Russians found out they could depend on that more than they could on their own government. So Putin is losing a lot of support, as it were, in his own country. And uh, this, this economic damage from the, you know, the general mobilization 
is is really hurting him bad. Now, nobody wants to, you know, uh, attack the czar because you have to kill him. You know, you can't just wound him. And and that's it. That's an axiom the Russians, you know, have learned uh, uh, over uh, centuries. Uh, so, you know, it, it, the big debate in Russia, not publicly, but, you know, privately, is how do we stop this madman uh, before he gets us all killed or a lot of us killed? Um, but, you know, the Ukrainians are basically uh, making it even more painful for um, <laughs> for Putin. But basically, he's all right, you want to send these untrained guys in? You know, we'll take them. You know, we'll, we'll put them in POW camps, which they may have to hide because Russians have been known to, you know, use a few ballistic missiles like the Iskander they still have left to attack POW, you know, uh, encampments. But anyway, they, these, if these guys feel safer with the, as a prisoner with the Ukrainians than, you know, in the Russian army as cannon fodder, I mean, literally cannon fodder, uh, that hurts Putin, you know, whichever way it goes. Um, so, you know, as the missiles aren't the problem, Russia's the problem. Uh, North Korea, you know, all right, we're going to attack first. That might, you know, that's not going to solve their problems. Uh, I think they did that more out of bravado than anything else because they haven't got anything. Their economy's coming apart at the seams, you know, more and more. Uh, but that's another story. But the big story is Russia. And, uh, you know, if Russia wants to recover economically or, you know, in any way, they're going to have to stop the war. And they're basically going to have to give up, uh, you know, uh, the occupied territories in Ukraine. And even with all these threats and all these weapons and whatnot, uh, the Ukrainians are still gaining territory. I mean, they're very systematic. They're very deliberate. And they their casualties are much less than Russian. You know, maybe on a figure, you know, well, six to one. Russians lose six soldiers for every one Ukrainian loses. And they, and this definitely helps morale, but it also means the Ukrainians have better trained troops, more experienced, because they haven't been killed off since they get in there. And, uh, you know, so that's the problem with missile defense. You have to have a, a country uh, that's willing to use it and take the blowback, the nuclear blowback. And that's a game the Russians are losing. And I don't think North Korea... Or Iran. Now, Iran has other problems now. They have another the hijab revolution, uh, and they, they, they definitely uh, wanted, the people want to uh, uh, overthrow the, the religious dictatorship there. It's ironic because the first widespread uh, demonstrations the, uh, the religious government in Iran had was in 1979 when they tried to impose the hijab. You know, all women had to cover, you know, cover their heads and, and not show any hair. And you had thousands of women coming out and protesting against that. Well, they, they killed some of them. But this time, they're killing more of them, and they keep coming. So even the IRGC, you know, the, 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 you know, the shoot of the, uh, you know, the, of the, uh, the Iranian government, uh, they're a little, you know, reluctant. Because they, if, if the government falls because of their bloodshed, well, who's on the target list for retaliation? So, you know, the terror cuts both ways. Austin, you have anything to say before we wrap things up? Yeah, yeah. I, Jim says uh, North Korea's bravado. I think that's the, the, the same spur to action uh, by Putin. It, it makes him sound macho, bravado, and it's, uh, it gives him a, a way of at least trying to uh, politically divide NATO 
because the uh, European countries would be the ones who would was uh, taking a nuke, not the United States. Uh, that's, uh, but it gets attention, and it it brings attention to a uh, weapon system uh, that Russia has, and Ukraine doesn't. Take two steps back, then, and you say, "Well, why doesn't Ukraine have them?" Because Ukraine in '94, '93, Accord, gave yeah. up its nuclear weapons. Uh, okay, but I think they signed it in '94, Jim. Yeah, there, there, were, there were two the actions, right, there were two agreements, '93 and '96. Yeah. Yeah, but, but the, the deal is, is that they gave them up for absolute Ukraine's territorial integrity, and that's look, can't trust dictatorships. You know, can't trust them. There's a, a, a an old lesson uh, in our face with a new war. Uh, I, I do not think. Putin is going to use a nuke for a bunch of reasons, and Jim just gave you really go through it eight or nine great ones why he won't uh, why he won't do it. But uh, nevertheless, to get in the subject of uh, today's podcast, we need to make a sustained effort to improve missile defenses, just for the sake of uh, human civilization. So I'll put it that way. Okay, we'll wrap it up with that, and we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Take care. Bye. Bye, guys. Take care.